Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with Aubrey Loveless, Gardner Bones, and Mark Tweedell. Mark hey, Tweedell, Mark, Mark you're back. All right, three Please in a row. Three Mark in a row, Tweedell. Mark. Yeah, you're awesome. I am here. Joining us all the way from from where are you joining us from? Brisbane, Australia. Brisbane, Australia. Brisbane. Man, it's been a whole week since we talked to you last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, the time just flew by it felt like minutes <laughs> what he's referencing is we're mm-hmm. we're spacing these episodes out but we're actually just recording them all in a row so that's why we don't have any of the hey damn guyses that you wrote but we're gonna have them next time anyway back to you john ah thank you for that yeah like danielle said we're banking some episodes for the holidays we're going to be taking some time off for the show, but we'll be back after the new year. I'm probably going to throw a bloopers episode in there also. And in all listeners' feedback. Yeah, we might episode, need to do something yeah. like that, depending on how much we get. Yeah. Catch up episode. Remember to check out Craig McKnight's raffle that's going on over at Mike Mignola's Art on Facebook. It's really simple. All you got to do is log into Facebook, go to Mike Mignola's Art, you go to the announcements tab, and check out all the awesome prizes we're raising money for cancer, COPD, Alzheimer's, and brain tumor research. And you can win some amazing prizes just for donating $5. The raffle is almost over at the time that this post comes out, so we're close to the end of the wire. If you've already donated, consider donating again. There's so much amazing original art from Mike Mignola. Dan Sakai. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Sook is in there. James Heron. Ross Radke. Yeah. Our man Matt Strackbine. We got Michael Avon Omin in Matt there. Strackbine. Yeah. Strackbine. Matt's got an awesome original page in there and his awesome Mignolaverse print. So all you've got to do is go over there, donate $5, and even if you don't win, all your money will go for a good cause. But at this point, there are over 40 prizes. You have a really good chance of winning something really cool. So go and check out the raffle. I mean... My- that one you described last week was so awesome. Yeah, the Dark Horse book bundle is yeah. amazing. Hey, book club gang, just wanted to add some additional info on the raffle. Craig McKnight has added Kevin Nolan to the raffle. Nolan donated a Hellboy piece with a cow. It was so awesome. We are in the final hours of the raffle if you're listening to this podcast on the day it comes out. So rush over there and throw some bucks in. It's worth it, especially for that Kevin Nolan sketch. So I just had to throw that in there. Go check it out at Mike Mignola's Art on Facebook. Do we want to mention that it's New Year's Eve on this episode? Oh, is it? Oh, ah, okay. You're right. Well, it's, you're right. it's New Year's Eve if you're in a specific point on the earth. If not, it's New Year's Day. Or if you don't belong to that specific culture that we're talking about, it also doesn't apply. So it's just kind of arbitrary. Anyway, Happy New Year. Yeah, it is New Year's Eve if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out. And so Happy New Year, all you damn guys. And thanks for sticking with us for another year. I can't wait for the next year of all your participation, listener feedback, and hopefully some more intros. I'd love to have some more guests on the show, too. So anyway, thanks again for all your continued support. Thanks, everybody. Hey, you damn guys. You've been doing this for over a year. That's incredible. Yeah. Insane to think because it doesn't feel like it. I think we're a year and a half at this point. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Oh, man. Friendship. Lots of friendship. Lots of friendship, yeah. Like Danielle said, we're not going to have listener feedback this week. So we're going to go ahead and go on to our book club episode for the week. And we're going to be finishing off 
the Lobster Johnson Volume 6, with the next story being Lobster Johnson, The Glass Mantis. This is a one-shot published in December 2015, written by Mignola and Arcudi, art and color by Tony Fajula, letters by Clem Robbins, and another awesome cover by Tanchi Zanich. I love how they're just like, you're going to draw all the covers now. You're nice. just going to do all the covers. He does so many great covers. They're like, this is your job now. Awesome. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Didn't he also draw like 30,000 covers for them? Or yeah, something yeah. Like that? <laughs> and they're like making up the stories based on the covers? Yes. Uh, yeah. That's pretty cool. I just got to mention, um, John Akudi and uh, Tony Fajula have worked uh, together on another comic called Dead Inside. It's one of those ones that is sadly overlooked, but it's really, really good. So if you can, check it out. It's one of my favorites. I love it. Oh, awesome. I'll have to check that out. Thank you for nice. that recommendation. We open in April of 1935, and we open on this amazing glass mantis. We immediately get a sense of Fajula's work and style. And it's really beautiful. Yeah. It's got kind of like this almost painted quality. Is that painted? It looks almost like, yeah, like watercolor-esque. But I don't know if he's painting the pages or if it's... Like a digital effect or of, something. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what his technique is. But he's got all these like shapes that he does in the shadows and in the colors. And just because of the you know the really bright colors that come through it it just makes me think of a stained glass window yeah. and yeah. for me like it's one digital. of those things where like if you're going to do a story about a glass mantis man what a perfect artist to do it yeah oh yeah yeah when i was reading the story i mean in the the art and the colors and everything reminded me of one the stained glass that mark just said but then also older movies where they kind of show this time period and it's mm-hmm. kind of got that glowing effect to it it kind of almost right um, right i want to say mm. the scene in my head is like a christmas carol when you see the ghost of christmas present and he's sitting there in his table and it's got all this shine to it i mean okay yeah. that's kind of what the image is popping in my head yeah it does have it does lend well mm. to this time period that's got to be digital yeah yeah it, it's a really amazing effect and just to draw glass too seems like it would be such yeah. a difficult thing to draw and also color. Fajula's color work effects really lend well with all of that. Yeah, I mean, okay, this I, I get the feeling this would be completely infeasible, but could you imagine Skeleton Crew doing a glass mantis? Oh my god, that would be cool. <laughs> that would yeah, be amazing. That would be, I think that would be really difficult. But yeah, oh my god, definitely. <laughs> it would be right. so difficult to set. Well, to, half to of get the orders would be just broken like, glass yeah. and a cardboard box. Yeah, it's like okay, let's get these really fine antennae and make sure they don't get damaged. Right, right. And as we pan out of the mantis, we see that it's being guarded on either side, and the two guards they talk about how some stuff went missing from the basement storage. Ah, that's nothing, the other guard says. A couple years back, they lost a mummy. At least this time, nobody got shot. (laughs) So could this be Prayer of Neferu? Oh, man, it might. Pretty sure it is. Right? Because that was stolen from the Met, and I believe that this is the same museum. And there's this one lady, I guess she's like an art critic or something, and she knows a lot about glass, because she starts talking about how the Mantis is such a masterwork. But these other ones, and there's like a horse and a warthog, they're so inferior, she says. She can't believe the same guy did these. That I, art is bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the expression <laughs> on her face, too, as she points at it. Maybe they're just yeah, really, he, really bad. <laughs> they don't look bad. I think it's, she's its just she's doing that thing people do when they 
They want to have something to say. They want to sound like they know what they're talking about. So they start saying stuff. Well, I don't might... know. <laughs> no, well, I, I think she we does. We might be have getting a... ahead of ourselves, but she actually does have a point. Yeah, yeah I think she, she does. does have a point, but we'll we'll come around back to it. They seem yeah. good. I don't know. Although I gotta anyway. say, it could go either way. That's why I love it because you could read it one way the first time and then another way the second. Sure. Yeah, Although um, I have to say, I really. Really love the way um, Fajula's has drawn her because, like, it automatically gives you a sense of the voice that's coming out of her mouth. <laughs> you know, like you can tell it's like she's speaking at a volume that's more, you know, much louder than is appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she's like, oh, the artist is standing right there. Maybe you could chill the fuck out right. a little bit. It's like, yeah. it's like she's her not friend just is saying her never... opinion; she's broadcasting her opinion. Yeah, yeah. Her friend is like, dude, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and so we meet the artist Ennis Buke. He's a large man with glasses and a beard, and he addresses the crowd in broken English. And as he makes his speech, we see this woman in the crowd, and she's wearing a red dress. And then we also reveal in this bottom panel that the lobster is staking out the place from upstairs. And the art is just amazing so far. I just really love all this. And when we pan over to the lobster, it's almost like there's a different color palette for that panel. I just want to point out something that Fashul is doing here that's really, really cool, because um, at the moment we're about to go into an action scene where there's going to be a lot of things happening very rapidly and direction is going to become very important. So this first panel up the top here where they go, that's the artist, and now, ladies and gentlemen, you know, like, they have a scene where everything's largely yellow and then there's a patch of green where he's going to be standing up the front. So when we're on here, on the artist when he's talking, it's a green shot. We're on the audience, it's the yellow shot. When we go up to the lobster, it's all the blues where there's no light. He uses this color coding to orient us. Yeah, yeah, I do see that. Super clever. Yeah. And so the woman, she pulls a gun from her thigh holster and she shoots Buke, and as she does it, she shouts something, which translates to imposter in Turkish. The lobster from upstairs, he pulls his gun, but then she immediately surrenders. She drops her gun, and we see that there are some agents, I guess, within the crowd, too. Yeah, so this also makes me think that they were expecting something, because they're like, oh, we weren't expecting a woman, right? So they were expecting that something was going to happen during this time. We also see that the lobster has Bill in there observing and reporting to him, and he's sitting in a wheelchair. And I just love the color work as it's cutting back and forth between what's happening inside and the lobster. You know, those color palettes are just completely different, and it just um, I just love how they always have the lobster in these blues. It's just a really cool effect. Mm. That external shot, oh... So, you know, like, uh, just all the, the building stuff. I love the way it gives you a sense of the space, the scale, how far everything is away. It's just yeah. so gorgeous. And it's just a great, like, noir feel, right, as he's, like, looking over the corner of the rooftop. Oh, yeah, very noir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They talk about how the woman said imposter, and Bill says, she's right, the guy was an imposter. He still lives, and the beard was fake. He was a G-man. Right, and so they use that term. It's short for government man, somebody who works in the FBI. The lobster tells Bill to stay in the museum. He's going to track the assassin. Inside, the G-men talk, and we reveal the fake Buke was Jake Eckert, right? Remember, he joined the FBI, Um, so now he's in there. Didn't he join the DOI? Oh, wait, they actually address that in this story. And so he's there with the real Buke, and I love this part where he's like, 
but tell me, my English is really so bad as you make, right? Because he went up there and gave that speech, and he's like, do I really talk like that? <laughs> I'm not a judge of that, Mr. Enos, but it fooled her, didn't it? So he's like kind of saying, yeah, you do, right? <laughs> but did it? Because she yelled imposter. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, exactly. It didn't fool her. He's wrong about that. The lobster keeps tracking the car where they took the woman in the red dress. And inside, the agents talk, and they're having this conversation. They're like, she's lucky she dropped her gun, and she's lucky that she's cute, or they would have plugged her. And they laugh about how she doesn't understand, and how she shot a decoy. And she's just sitting there silent through the whole thing. And we pan over to the drivers, and they're like, God, I hate (laughs) G-Men. Back in the museum. So when we get to the museum, this next bit where it says, uh, the glass blown works of Enos Butte. That's a nice uh, little uh, anachronism there, where um, they're using the papyrus typeface. Which yeah, was created I in hate that fucking by font <laughs> more than anything. I so, fucking hate that font so, so much. So I'm not the only person who heard it's Ryan Gosling. It's the worst font. Like, papyrus! <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, that is so funny, Mark, because like, Every it's, time I see that font anywhere, I'm just like, oh, God, yeah, why? We'll see why it on, are you like, using storefront signs and stuff like that? It's and the worst font. It infuriates her, yeah. People seem so unaware of it, too. It's like, <laughs> are you aware that this font is on your business card? Like, why? how is it possible? <laughs> anyway. Or, like, on, like, like movies? Like, in Avatar. movies. Yes! Why? How is this happening? In Avatar. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, I share so your glad I'm not frustration with this font. It is <laughs> my least favorite font. But you, ha- you have seen that skit, the Saturday Night Live skit? I don't know. Is there a skit about this? Yeah, I just sent it um, to, to John just then in case you haven't seen oh, it. Man. Oh, okay. We'll watch it, that. Yeah. Great. See, I don't watch SNL. I don't know anything about what's going on with that or anything like that. But if you show me any oh. group of people making fun of this font, I will watch that. Yeah, uh, it's one of those things. I don't watch um, Saturday Night Live either, but as soon as that skit happened, anyone who knew me was like, look, I know how much you care about typefaces. Here you go, look at this. (laughs) Thank you for bringing that up. I was almost too mad about it to even bring it up. So I was just going to let it go. But yes, no, I'm glad you said something because, yeah, fuck this font. Do you remember the Avatar logo? Uh, yeah, it was tribal yet futuristic. Papyrus! <laughs> uh, sure. You know what you did? I know what you did! Back at the museum with the horrible papyrus sign there. Buke talks with who I assume is the curator of the museum or he's one of the guys that works there. He's it's probably his fault that it has that papyrus <laughs> font on the front. Jeez. We'd better off just hand painting the sign. Honestly, <laughs> I would prefer to see something like that. And he goes to get Buke's coat, but then just then Buke karate chops him in the back and knocks him out. And then as he runs off, he takes off his wig. So then I was kind of like, wait, what the heck is happening? So this guy isn't even Buke. He was... He it's was, another imposter. It was, it's another imposter, right? It's a double imposter situation. Back- These little birds. You can zoom in on the other sculptures, the other glass sculptures. Oh, right. Like- the other little sculptures. I didn't even notice those. Little There's some birds little birds there. Yeah. Anyway. Back with the cops. They're still complaining about the G-Men. And when they go around to open the back... 
they find the FBI agents have been knocked out and the woman's gone. We also see Martell's, which was featured in a change forged in life from last week's episode. And they had just fixed this window. Remember, a guy came blowing out the window. And then now she broke the window to go in there again. I thought that was funny. Rude. Well, it's a different branch, but yeah, uh, they're not having a good year. (laughs) And she's got some regular clothes to change into. She doesn't have to run around in that red dress for the whole thing. Well, it looks like she uh, swapped her red dress for what the mannequin was wearing. Right, right. I thought that was a really Mm. cool, uh, you know, reminded me of Terminator. Oh, yeah. Reese's finding clothes. Oh, nice. Well, and are these pants, like, these puffy pants that only, like, World War One pilots and also people who ride horses seem to wear? Maybe it gives mm. you freedom in the knee. No, but what are they called? Like, is, <laughs> oh. do these oh, pants have know. a name? I don't know, yeah. Oh, I can't remember their name. I remember looking this up once. I love them, though. They, they look so awesome. <laughs> Did people wear these pants everywhere? Yeah. Interesting. Huh, okay. Oh, I, they show up in uh, The Adventures of Tintin quite a bit in the stories set in the 30s and 40s. Ah, okay. Huh. Interesting. The woman thinks that she's safe, but she's not. Quite a trick you pulled back there. The lobster appears. Ah, and look at you, she says, an American on the ground dressed like an airplane pilot who speaks Turkish. The world is full of surprises. And she kicks the mannequin at the lobster. And he's, like, shocked in that panel. He's like, what the heck? <laughs> like, you don't really see him with that expression too many times. He wasn't expecting a mannequin flying towards him. Yeah. <laughs> I like that we find out he speaks Turkish. Oh, yeah. I mean, he speaks, like, mm. yeah. He speaks a lot of languages, though, right? We've seen him speak other languages, I think, also. Mm. I'm pretty sure he's spoken German, hasn't he? Yeah. Oh, maybe yeah. I'm imagining that, actually. And we see the woman running through the department store. And there is so much detail in this panel for her to just be running through it it's just very the the decision that Fajula makes to have this view of her running through that store i think is a really just interesting choice and it's like making it harder for himself too you know what i mean having to draw all those stacks of clothes and everything i just really that panel kind of really stood out to me when i was reading this yeah it's a it's a really nice panel Mm-hmm. But she's not running toward. Oh, maybe that's what it's supposed to be. Maybe it's like she's not running towards all these fancy clothes. It's juxtaposed with she's running towards all these guns and ammunition and stuff. Well, I just thought that she was just running through the department right, store. Right, right. But I think maybe that decision was kind of maybe to juxtapose those two panels. I don't know. But in either way, a tremendous amount of work that he's doing on both of these, drawing all the clothes and then all these different kinds of guns. The woman mm-hmm. breaks through the case with her elbow. And the lobster, he holds his gun in her face. You'll have a forty-five slug in your brain before you get that loaded, he says. Or you can talk. And so she says, I know who you are, lobster. I read your file in Istanbul. Back when I was still in the National Security Service. But the service never had the same interest in Ennis Buke as I. And so she reveals his backstory. She talks about how he was the finest glassblower in Turkey. But nobody there ever knew him. He never signed any of his work. But he was so great that he was still discovered. And his masterpiece was the Glass Mantis. And we see him here making it. And so he had this old apprentice named Kakir. And Kakir paid him a visit and was like, we should make more pieces and we should make them together. And he would not take no for an answer. So we see that Kakir has a little posse there. So the work continued. More objects were made, and the workshop fires burned hotter than ever. And then so we see a skull in there. Okay, so they killed the original Buke. 
and now this cock here, he's the imposter buke. And I guess I don't understand why any of that happened. Well, he's writing his coattails, basically. He's like, yeah. the glass mantis is going to be this awesome piece. And then that lady was right. All the other pieces are crap because right. they're the ones Kakir made. No, no, sure, sure. I get that. I'm just saying, mm. like, that. what the fuck? He was just like, I I know you and I can kind of do this skill, too. So I'm going to take your work and I'm going to say that it's really me. I guess. Or whatever. And so the woman says, people in Istanbul saw a man with large beard and glasses. And for all they knew, that was Ennis Buke boarding a boat for America. But a daughter knows her father. So she's Buke's daughter. And it's like she's out for revenge, I guess, on Kakir, who killed him. Now we know why she was not fooled even in the slightest bit by, um, you know, the impression at the beginning. Like, she'd know her father's voice in a second. Right, right. That makes sense. And we also see this, like, secondary plot in those poorly crafted glass animals. They had hidden thousands of dollars in diamonds inside. So... It was a smuggling act also to bring all these over to New York. I like the way um, uh, Fajula draws, uh, sorry, does the um, fakes because you'll notice like the mantis always has so many complex colors going on in it. Oh, yeah, like Whenever you see the, the fakes, there's only like one or two. Like, sure, you know, they're very yeah. flat, dead kind of color. Right. Wow. So much detail into those little intricacies of how the art is made. I really love that. I have a friend of mine... Um, She's from uh, she's from Turkey, and her name's spelled with a C, but it's pronounced with a J. And then there's also the host of the Young Turks, who um, his name is spelled with a C, but it's pronounced Jank. So to us, it looks like a K sound, but yeah. it's a J sound. Yeah. Okay. Oh, thank you for pointing yeah, that out. For, yeah. yeah, I don't. I definitely don't want to be saying the names wrong. I'm already saying most of them wrong anyway. But it's important that we try. It's important, <laughs> important that, that, we that we at least try. try. Yes. But then when I looked it up, it sounded like it was still pronouncing it with a C. So I'm not sure. Okay. Well, let us know. Hey, give us a hey, you damn guys, and let yeah. us know the correct way to Give us to a see. Turkish hey, you damn guys. There you go. Yeah, I just looked it up. It's like Jakku. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, it is. Okay, thank you for that. Hey, now we know. Good job, everybody. So the woman, she tells the lobster that she'll take him back to the museum and show him. And he's like, all right, but we can do better than that. Bill, I need you and the others to get back in the museum. And she's like, who are you talking to? <laughs> And so we see Bill, he's still in the wheelchair, and I like how he just gets up and starts running, right? It's just a disguise to get him in the museum. We also see Harry McTell and Bob show up. And I like this, oh, you can load this gun now, but I'll I'll keep my eye on you. Right, kind exactly. Of a thing. Like, yeah. Now we're teammates, now we're friends. I like this look of the car. It's almost like they've modified it because that's not a um, a grill. It's more like plate. Oh, okay. So maybe it's like some bulletproofing or something. Yeah, huh. I like that. Back in the museum, we see Jockier, and they're getting all the diamonds, and he's like, ah, the way the dollar is against the lira, we will make a fortune. That's the currency of Turkey. It has it in the little footnote there. All of Jockier's crew, they see the lobster's crew, and they're like, shoot him. And so now they have a shootout going on there. Kakir says, kill them all if you have to. Nothing will stop me. And as he's talking, we focus in on the glass mantis. And on this last panel of the page, there's like some mist coming out of it or some smoke around it. It's such a cool effect. I cannot stand scenes where there's fights in museums. Like, oh, it's just, the worst. I get so incredibly tense because <laughs> I'm just like, broken. Oh, no, not the artifacts. Yeah, that's Ooh. exactly what's yeah. happening here, right? I didn't even think about that. But as they're shooting, there's a lot yeah. of stuff that's breaking. It looks like there's debris all around. All the, like you're just oh, like you said, man. like all these artifacts are getting all 
fucked up. <laughs> Fuck, it's like, I just yeah. remember uh, I went to um, the Museum of Cairo once, and while I was there, just like this random person was just like walking along, decided they'd just sit on the sarcophagus because, <gasps> you know, it looks like a seat to them apparently. And I was just like, oh my God, you, no, Jeez. I can't handle that kind of thing. It's just. They don't have like sensors, like alarms going up or anything when that happens. Oh, um, so um, if you go to the Museum of Cairo, at least when I went there, the place is enormous. But they just have so much. It's like this bizarre attic almost where it's like they've got so much stuff they practically have to stack artifacts wow. on top of other artifacts Holy just to fit it all in the building. It's amazing. It's one of those wow. most awesome museums I've ever been to. Wow. We see Jakir as they're having their shootout. He goes to escape for it. And as he bursts through outside, he's like, free. Free to die. Yeah, the woman is there <laughs> with a gun. She starts shooting at him. What's that thing that Emma Frost says in the that video game? Welcome to die. Welcome to die. That's what that reminds me of, is welcome to die. The White Queen welcomes you to die. Back inside, the Lobster's crew and the Turkish gangsters are still firing at each other, and the Lobster's crew are running out of bullets. The way in which his boots are rendered so lovingly oh, yeah. is so satisfying. Yeah, just yeah. as they're running out of bullets, the lobster jumps down from this. It looks like a statue of Anubis, which has been referenced a lot of times. Well, it was on the cover, in too. In the right? Hellboy universe. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, so that's actually on the cover where he's standing on there. It's right before the. Oh, I love that. Thank you for pointing that yeah, out. Yeah, it's good stuff. Justice. Yeah, the lobster jumps down. And we see that the woman is tracking Jacques. And I just love these panels by Fajula of the lobster just kicking ass. Um, he does such a great job. I love the angles, too. It's unusual, this angle right here that we get where he's kicking. It's kind of like, looks a little bit elongated and stuff like that. I just really um, love that style. Mm, that's something uh, Fajula does a lot in his work. He likes to play with distorting perspective to, to um, heighten scenes or to get into a character's head. It's really right. fun. Awesome. It's very action-y. As Jacques is trying to escape, he backs up against the glass mantis. And there's that mist coming off of it like we saw earlier. And just the lobster just still kicking ass and just punching this guy. The color work in these panels is really amazing. Yeah, it, it's once again, I love the way he um, separates with color. The way like, you know, when you're with the other gangsters, it's more yellowy and everything. When you're with, you know, the daughter, everything goes into the more blues and purples. When you get up to the mantis, you slip into greens. Like he uses this to intercut so you don't need to think about where you are. Right, right. It's coming. It's closing in. You can't escape it. The lobster's just shooting down these guys. So awesome. And back with Jakir, this ghost of Biuk starts to come out of the glass mantis. That was those weird, like, smoke effects that we saw. I love that transition to that. And he says, 5,000 miles. You left me 5,000 miles behind you. And here I am. Back with the lobster. And so, finally, Justice. And he's getting ready to burn that guy that he just shot. No, not Justice, the daughter says. Not quite yet. No, but soon, the lobster says. And they both go off together. Back with the glass mantis. The glass. My glass, Buke says. Not your ugly imitations. Not your Trojan horses. My glass. My glass. My soul. You traveled all this way, and I was with you. Yes, I came along because I have something, Jacques. Something for you. 
And then this bottom panel has that face like elongates. It almost looks like that is made of glass. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I I love that because it's like, you know, when you first start seeing the smoke, it's smoke. And it gradually becomes more glassy throughout the scene. It's such a cool detail. Yeah. We cut to the aftermath. We find Eckerd and Hansen. And he's like, oh, claw brands and all of them must be the lobster. And I know how much the FBI likes seafood, Hansen says. He's always wisecracking, right? (laughs) Or is it the DOI or Triple A? What is it this week, Eckert? So here's where they explain yeah. that he went from the DOI to the FBI. And he's like, but there's another stiff in the joint and no claw brand. In fact, ain't a mark on him. No signatures or calling cards to tell us who or what or why, which means unlike you, we got to do real police work. But don't worry, pal. We'll figure it out. And we see Jacques dead underneath the statue of the glass mantis yeah we'll figure out that a glass maker's ghost was trapped in a mantis and <laughs> came after his well i like how it said dark that apprentice there was no uh there's no mark there's no calling card and right. they talked about how the um the artist himself didn't leave a oh, na- yeah. his signature or anything like that so he just performed his work again yeah i love that. that's such a great detail oh and you notice the sign is now missing bill harris <laughs> <laughs> Well, because it's far away, they can't fit all the letters on it. No, 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 justice prevails. Well, the evil oh, okay. <laughs> I absolutely love this story. There's just one little thing that gets me disappointed, and it's just that right there on the cover, we've got the lobster with uh, a kopesh, and I was waiting for him to run out of ammo, have no weapons, and then grab a kopesh. Like, how great would that have been? <laughs> Wait, so what's that sword called? A kopesh. Oh, I've always wondered that. Thank you. Oh, okay. And that's like the one they were making on the Prayer of Neferu. That's the same kind of weapon that they were making that they were that they were putting the souls of those three ghosts in or whatever. You were saying you were waiting for him to improvise and grab one of those. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> they even showed one in the case. Yeah. Oh, they did. All right. Our next story is another Lobster Johnson one-shot called Garden of Bones. This one was published in January 2017, written by Mignola and Arcudi, art by Stephen Green. He's also done some kick-ass work on Hellboy and the BPRD series, and I actually got to meet Stephen Green at a con, and I got him to do a Lobster Johnson for me. Nice. nice. So I have a Lobster oh, cool. Johnson commission from him. Um, I'll share that on our social media. And also check out his awesome series, Sea of Stars. I'm really enjoying that Mm. book as well. And there's a Mignola variant for the cover of issue one, too. Colors by Dave Stewart. Letters by Clem Robbins. And another awesome cover by Tanchi Zanyich. We get the lobster with a pickaxe on this one, right? Yeah, it's pretty neat. We open in Freegrove, New Jersey in 1935. And we see the lobster and Harry McTell in a cemetery. And Harry's like, what kind of zombie leaves a calling card? I've seen things, Harry. Things you haven't seen, the lobster says. I guess that's true, boss, Harry says. But I know a little about voodoo, or what voodoo's supposed to be anyway. And this guy, it just doesn't fit. And so Harry tells the lobster about Big Benny Jeannot. He was a successful gambler in Harlem. And so he started out as his own enforcer, By the early 30s, he was a freelance muscle, hiring out to bootleggers and numbers rackets in all five boroughs. It wasn't until Prohibition ended that cocaine moved in, and he started dropping bodies. 
Bigger stakes makes for tougher enforcers. And that got police commissioner Valentine's attention. And so we see Jeannot being gunned down by the cops. And so they buried Big Benny here in consecrated ground by a minister. You see where I'm going? He asked the lobster. And two weeks later, police officers started getting killed in the streets. I heard what the witnesses said. Slugs passed right through the gunmen. But doesn't a bulletproof vest make more sense? And I ask you again, a calling card? And so in these kind of like flashbacks, we also see that one of the dead cops, he's got like this card on him, which I think is so interesting because we've seen the lobster's little cards. So this one has a skull on it, but the eyes are dice. Harry says that his grandpa was a houngan, a voodoo priest. And this is a Haitian voodoo that um, this term is associated with. He told me a lot about the rituals and the rules, and I remember that a body buried on consecrated ground can't be revived. And I guess part of what they're saying about this Jeannot, this second Jeannot or whatever that's coming back and killing cops is that he can leaf over tall buildings and shoot everything up, and he's like, zombies don't do that. And look, the plot hasn't been disturbed. So, you know, he's like, we got good information, but why start digging up graves? Our man's probably hiding out. Let's go check out the caretaker's quarters. And so the lobster tells him to go have a look. So Harry walks off that way and he opens the door and he's like, oh, and over with the lobster, the lobster starts digging up, but he hears like guns being cocked. And so he turns around and here's Jano, this like kind of undead form. So they very quickly establish that this guy Jano died and somehow he's like come back. And here we kind of get to see him shooting at the lobster. And I love the action here. It's really amazing as they have this shootout in the cemetery. And a lot of this is just the action between the lobster and Jeannot shooting back and forth at each other. As the lobster tries to get a clip, he gets shot in the hand or something, right? Yeah, or maybe his gun gets shot out of his hand. Okay, that's what it is then. The lobster is about to pull out one of his grenades, and then Big Jeannot gets shot from behind. The lobster goes to look, and it's McTell. Better than a shovel, right? So when he went into the caretaker's place, he found that shotgun. I like how when he was heading to the caretaker's place, the lobster's like says to him, like, at least there'd be more tools for digging when you're in there. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and so the lobster's like, well, he didn't come at me from the direction of the caretaker's place. Because tonight he was staying somewhere else, McTell says. And so we see this like mausoleum. And maybe he wasn't alone. So McTell pulls out his Browning High Powers. That's the name of those two handguns that he's got there. And they go to check it out. As they start walking down the stairs, they smell chicken and fish. And McTell's like, zombies don't cook up dinner. In fact, they can't eat. And we go down there and we see these three individuals. One guy looks like a priest and he's with these two other ladies. And they're like, oh, sorry, boys. We didn't expect company. Not enough food tonight. And they're all casual about the lobster and Harry going in there. And they're like, oh, what happened up there? You shoot our chombo? And Harry's like, a chombo? That his name? Yeah, we finished him off. He is not finished, they say. And Harry's like, let's stop with all the voodoo act. He's got a hole in his chest the size of a bird's nest. And they say it's not voodoo. It's fimbakonu. It's not a zombie, a chombo. And so I looked up these terms, and I think these terms are just created for this book. They're not really related to any kind of historical reference, but I guess like this is their version of voodoo and kind of what they tell Harry here. Well, first they offer him a piece of chicken, which is nice, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they explain to Harry that 
Voodoo is just some folks thinking they're talking to spirits. It's just some kind of religion, but what they're practicing, Fimbakonu, that's really how things are. And that's how they run their business. And everybody knows it from all sides of New York. Everybody except John Law. The police think it's only about money, about territory, but it about a ludo tray. I guess that's what they call the tree of life. And so we see in the flashback here, we see Jano staying in front of this like tree stump. They just have all these different items all over it, like bowls and idols, candles. And so that was giving him some power. It made him hard like stone. He could solve problems all over town. And then so we see they were making all this money. Everybody was paying for Janot's services because they believe. But they were like really controlling him through this magic that they're using. But eventually he got killed. Take a hundred bullets, but he went down. And so the money stopped coming in and people didn't believe anymore. So they needed their enforcer back. So when he died, they put a different body in the grave. We bury another thing in his place to fool your Bible God. And Benny, we take that boy away. And so the lobster's like, I've heard enough. Prostitution, drugs, murder, blasphemy. And now, finally justice. He points his gun at them. But oh no, here comes Jano again. He's still alive, even though he's been shot. And so he starts, he grabs the lobster by the arm and starts swinging him around. So, you know, they're using some sort of magic or some sort of voodoo adjacent or something like that, right? I guess so. But I like when they're showing the coffin and they buried something else in it. They got you, you see the outline of the goat. I think that's a really neat oh effect. okay yeah. So that's what they buried instead. Yeah, you would think that you would notice this big giant guy versus the the goat, go, the goat right? Like someone yeah. would pick it up and be like, "Wait a minute, maybe there's some bricks in there too." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this woman says some magic words, and all these other zombies start coming out or chombos, right? I guess. And they're coming at the lobster and Harry. I like how the three of them are just still sitting in dinner. Right. They're <laughs> totally unfazed with this whole thing that's just become so regular to them. They're even still eating. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. All these zombie things are overtaking the lobster. And also the dead Genot super zombie or whatever. Look how he kicks one of them's head off. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a great detail. Yeah, and it looks like they're trying to put them in coffins. Like they're trying to drag Harry... And the lobster into some other coffins. And as they're pulling Harry in, he's overhearing them talking about the food. And the chicken tasty too. And he like has this aha moment right then. We cut back over with the lobster. And he's still fighting off Jeannot. And his jacket's starting to come off. Yeah, they're starting. Well, they're pulling at his coat and stuff like that. It's like the buttons all popped. And the lobster has to fight off these two other zombies. And when he turns around... Jeannot's about to smash him with this big piece of stone. And then suddenly Harry saves the day. I love this. Harry rushes in. He tackles Jeannot. And he pushes him towards the dinner table where they're all eating. And then he gets the chicken and he's like, come on, eat. And he's like pushing the head towards the chicken. I think that's so... Yeah. There's something just absurd and ludicrous about that. But I was just like, what is happening right now? (laughs) So we can see here like Jeannot actually... They had sewed his mouth shut, I guess, to prevent something like this from happening. And so as the zombie Jeannot eats some of the chicken, his eyes go wide. And then we see 
like some sort of spirit like escape out of it but what i think is interesting is it's got like this red demon thing on it yeah kind of like writing the spirit so that must be that <clears throat> Fimbakonu or whatever voodoo adjacent magic they're using right that's how i kind of took that and as the spirit flies off we see that red demon thing like fall off of it at some point in the aftermath it just leaves the body of jeno there zombie chombo voodoo fimbo whatever you call it it's all the same isn't it harry says the dead don't want to come back they want to sleep my grandpa told me that over and over you wake them from that sleep you remind them that they're dead that they're not supposed to be here anymore like a bit of food in their mouths just a little taste of life and there's no way you can keep them here nothing no magic not even the loa that possesses their spirits can overcome their horror in being back in their rotten corpses yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, the taste of food is like the taste of life. It's something you do, you know, eating is enjoyable, it's pleasurable, and it's like, it's living your life or something, and it's just so, I don't know, I, I, I like the way that they use that as a device to, to um, remind the dead people that they're dead. Right, right. Yeah. And then something about the realizing that you're a dead person, I guess, yeah. or it kind of like snaps you out of it, or it breaks that magic spell. Yeah. The tree of life is gone. You're powerless, Harry says. There's really nothing you can do now. The lobster picks up his gun. No, Harry. There's one more thing they can do. Blam, blam, blam. The end. <laughs> Justice. <laughs> That's hardcore, Justice. man. Yep. The one last thing they can do is die. Right? I yep. guess. I mean, that's that's it. <laughs> yeah, really great work. I really love Stephen Green's style. We'll get some more good stuff from him in our Hellboy and BPRD series. It sucks that you can't be here, but it's like a 25-hour plane ride for some reason. <laughs> Even though that doesn't make any yeah. sense in the physical world. Have you ever been to the United States? Uh, only once. Um, I went to New York, and um, that was where I got to meet Mike Mignola. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, that was such a great day. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to have to be a story for... Yeah, I want to hear more about that. Yeah. I, I've actually already told it. It was about um, when he uh, showed me the um, oh, Hellboy and Hell pages. Before oh, they you're I remember right. that. Yeah. That was part of the listener feedback. Awesome. Yeah. There's also... Uh, I got to meet Tyler Crook that day. That was such a surreal experience because um, he was still fairly new to BPRD at the time. And um, like I'm wandering around the floor and um, we'd been interacting on Twitter and it was just so incredibly bizarre to be in a city you've never been in before right. and then hear a voice you've never heard before go, Mark Tweedale! <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah, he is like, of all the artists I've um, had to interact with, Tyler Crook is like just the most genuinely friendly person I've ever met. He's, he's a really nice guy. He and his wife, uh, they were really great. That's always great to hear. Yeah. I love hearing that. Yeah, they, like I just sat down and we ended up chatting for ages. Yeah, um, Stephen Green, he was super nice, and I met him and James Aaron on the same day. Nice. Yeah, and I got, oh, awesome. I got commissions from both of them. It was a great day. All right, and for our third story, we're going to be reading Lobster Johnson, Mangekyo. This is a one-shot published in August 2017, written by Mignola and Arcudi. Art by Ben Stenbeck. I yeah. love Stenbeck. It's great to see him on a Lobster Johnson title. Colors by Dave Stewart, yeah. letters by Clem Robbins, and another amazing cover by Tanchi Zanyich. What can you say? Awesome cover. <laughs> Such a great cover. 
I love getting a, a Ben Stenbeck story. I mean, it, it's kind of strange to think about it because he's been working with Mike Mignola for such a long time. But if you're only reading the Hellboy universe, you haven't seen much of his work because a lot of it was in Baltimore for such yeah. a long stretch. Yeah, that's mostly what I know him for. And I love whenever he mm. pops up and just for like a one shot, Beware the Ape yeah. or this one, you know, this story was another great one yeah. to see that but familiar is, art style. It's really easy to forget sometimes that, you know, he's one of Mignola's closest collaborators. Right, right. Mm, wow. I'm excited for the stuff that we're going to get to in the future with him, though. He's got some great stuff coming up that oh I just God, cannot yes. wait to get to. But anyway, you probably know what I'm talking about, Mark. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and more than that, I'm, I'm like, you know, uh, you'll be chatting to him sometime and he'll just drop a little hint about something that hasn't been announced and just like, oh my God, bring it on. Oh, awesome. Awesome. We open in upstate New York in Jefferson Correctional Facility, autumn 1935. And we see the inmates there. They're in the cafeteria. And they see this one guy. They're like, oh, don't I know you? And they're like, oh, yeah, we've seen your picture in the papers. It's Franz Scheck. Hey, we haven't met this guy before, right? Have we, Mark? I don't think so, no. I like how it's like autumn 1935. And in the, the story we read, I guess, last week, it started off at Christmas. And so we've gone a full, almost a full year Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they try to do that with the short stories um, to make them kind of span the, the length of a year. I love that. Yeah, so it began in um, Christmas uh, 1934 and ends in 1935. Nice, nice. And so they're like, oh, you're in here for treason. They're going to fry you. And he's like, oh, this is just a temporary transfer while I await federal prison. And they're like, ain't you the one who'd know about temporary? Because you ain't going to be with us much longer. And then they all start laughing. And he's like, oh, you are so right, young man. Quite soon I will be. And he's looking at his watch. Quite soon I will be a real goner. Outside, we see those no-mass monkeys. And these panels are just so incredible as they're, like, placing all these bombs and stuff. Oh, yeah. I love this one. They're almost, like, dancing, right? They, as they... They, they yeah. look really pleased with themselves. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen, uh, that, like, you know, that kind of animal move that way before in, like, documentaries and stuff. And the way he does it, he, you know, like, you can see it moving even though it's completely still. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. The monkeys are putting all this dynamite and it's connected to one of those old-timey like switches that you would see like in the cartoons or in the old yeah. you know serials and stuff like that where you push down on that bar to detonate the bomb it's kind of like what you'd see like um old mirror prospectors going all right and we dedicate and bam right and a lot of this is just the panel work the artwork over a couple pages while the monkeys are setting this up and then one of them pushes down on the lever and they all cover their heads and nothing happens not as loud as you thought huh Next time, try a mortar. No vexing wires to be cut. And we see Bob there with some shears, so he'd cut off the bomb before they could detonate it. And as the monkeys start running off, then they start getting shot. And we reveal Guan Jia. He's one of the enforcers that helped the lobster escape in Ascent of Lotus. And so now he's part of the lobster's crew. I love that. He's like, yeah, now I'm going to help you out. Or maybe it's just for this mission. I, I don't know. But I, I do like that he's with the lobster's crew now. Maybe this is like a, a trial run. Right, <laughs> right. I'd say it's more like uh, they called in the specialists for the lotus. Ah, okay, uh. okay. One of the monkeys punches him and gets away. And I like how he's like, I have failed you. Like, he's so disgraced that that monkey got away. But they're like, it's fine. The monkey will lead us to the fat lady herself, Lester says. Five of us combing the woods. 
how can we miss anything as huge as her? He keeps just cracking these kinds of jokes. But the lobster's like, quiet, Lester. Spread out, ten yards on either side. And remember, keep an eye out for traps. As the lobster is walking through the woods, he sees one of those nomad monkeys. And it like goes down this trail. The trees are converging to make this tunnel or something of roots. And so that already kind of looks kind of like mystical yeah. and supernatural. Well, it looks like he was waiting for him so he would follow him down there. Right, yeah. And so, of course, the monkey leads him down there and the lobster starts going down through all those branches. And when he gets to the other side, he encounters the Crimson Lotus. And she's sitting there. They make a point of showing that he stops like right before this floorboard here. So I wonder if that's like a if that was like a trap or something or uh, they're showing uh, that there's some mist starting to rise out. Oh, that's what it is. Okay, and... yeah, we see the mist coming up from the floorboards. I think she says like he arrived well or he he got here well or something like that in Japanese, and the lobster just starts shooting at her, but she laughs. Ah, how much I have heard about the great spiny. Lobster of night. New Yorku. New Yorku. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. New York. Oh, is that what it is? She's saying okay. New York with a Japanese okay. accent. Okay, awesome. I love that. She says, but you are not in your big city now. And where are you? In the Yakukai. And you are my guest. So what is that? Is that a reference to something, Mark? Do you know? Yakukai? I don't know. I'd have to look that one up. I, I was incredibly lazy with this because, like, uh, whenever you do these things, you, you basically come out with all this research. And so I was like, I was reading it. And whenever I come across these things, I'd be like, eh, John will take care of it. Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I, I did look it up. And I guess I was looking for you for more information because when I looked it up, it just translated to anticipation. Ah. She says, you're in the Yaki and you are my guest. And so I wonder if this is part of her magic. Like, you're in this state of, you know, it translates yeah. into anticipation, but yeah. it's like nervousness. Maybe it's one of those or... things where it's like, you are in the place where I was waiting for you. You are in the trap sort of thing. I don't know. Yes, yeah. yes. I love that. So God, sorry, I'm just looking at these pages. They're so good. I but, know. You know. Like with the... Her blowing out the blackness that just engulfs him. That's so cool. Yeah, so she says, welcome, and she kind of blows out, just like you said, blackness. I don't know how to describe it. It's like he just gets sent to another realm. It's really interesting the way that they've shaded and colored these panels. Even the frame disappears, and on this last panel, it's just like an open space, and he's just reaching out in the darkness. I really love that. I like that too, yeah. Such an amazing transition. Mm -hmm. From the darkness, then all these arms start grabbing at the lobster. And they have, like... It's like the skin is all infected on them, or they have, like, pustules or something. Yeah, it's the cannibals. Oh, it's those cannibals. Okay. Get away, filthy thugs, the lobster says, as he bats off all the cannibal arms. And a door opens above in a mess. Huh, boss? And we see Bob up there. But there was a scene like this, wasn't there, where he was down in a basement? Yeah. With zombies it's at the, the end of Burning Hand. hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the lobster says, Bob, your gun, give it to me. And I want to say, like, this panel at the top, there's a panel that looks almost very similar to that in the Burning Hand. It's very faithfully recreated. Yes, yes. Okay, so I'm not just imagining that. And the lobster asks for his gun. You got it, boss. And then Bob shoots at him. And we just see the lobster fall backwards. And he's just, like, falling through empty white space. Well, and again, like you were pointing out on that other page... The last quote-unquote panel is... Oh, the, I like that. 
using this this big white space here. Right, and on the other one it was black, and on this one it's white. It's really cool. I really like that a lot. And what's also cool is like the white then turns into the face of the crimson lotus. Yeah. So like he's falling across this giant face. No weapons now, scissor man is what she says there. Are you warrior enough to still fight? Are you man enough? Are you even a man? I thought that was interesting too because we've talked so yeah. much about all this weird magical stuff right. about him. Show me how you fight. But first, and then she says, you little shrimp. Uh, I believe Ebby can be translated uh, as uh, lobster as well. Oh, okay, okay. It, it came up as shrimp in Google Translate, but that makes more sense, lobster, yeah. Oh, it comes up as shrimp and prawn and yeah, a couple of different things. I, I don't know. It's a, I'm not sure on that one. It's kind of like on Get the Lobster when Danielle was saying, like, he's going to call you everything but a lobster. <laughs> yeah, it's like... <laughs> you mud skipper. Yeah. It's like with Spider-Man, it's everything. It's like you, insect, you, bug, you. But I mean... And as the lobster, he falls into her mouth. But then he actually just falls in the water. And he sees Bill there with the boat. And Bill's like, I'm coming for you, boss. He tries to save him, but the lobster kind of overturns the whole boat or something like that. When he tries to grab on, it kind of like flips the boat over. And the lobster is speaking in Japanese at the Crimson Lotus. You are very loud. You make much noise about my fighting, but all you do is play games. I won't play anymore, but I will fight you if you have any honor. Well, see, I think that's what it was. It's like, because um, in the last thing, his his man came to help him, but he shot at him. This is not really Bill. Right, and right. so he's just like, you know, I'm, I'm done with your shit. It's part of the vision, yeah. yeah. Oh, is that why he flipped it? That's why he flipped the boat? Because he yeah. knew it was an illusion. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. And then the lobster just gets whacked out of the air. You are right, shrimp. I will bring you a fight as you never have seen. And so we reveal Guanjia. And he's got those no-mass monkeys on his arms and one of them's like on his neck and it's holding his cheeks back or whatever like revealing his teeth yeah isn't that how like gorillas show hostility is showing you their teeth oh okay yeah i was also thinking it was similar to the chombo in the last story where it had the spirit being held onto by the other creature oh right wow that's a great parallel he took you from me once now he will take you for me now she's controlling guanjia and so he starts punching at the lobster and grabbing him. I feel like it's like somehow, like, you know, the monkeys are making him punch. Of course, yeah, the monkeys are doing it, and so mm. they're like, they're like, yeah, you're gonna fight your ally now. So who dies first, my shrimp? Is it you or is it the big Chinese man? Because he's got a gun in his waistband, so it's like the lobster could pull that gun and kill him if he wanted to. It is right there, shrimp. Won't you just grab it, or will you strangle on your broken neck bones? And the lobster is able to kick away from Guanjia. And as they keep fighting, the nomad monkey says, Are you not even a prawn? Are you only a gnat? An insect who does not bite, who cannot bite. How do I make this gnat? Oh, I didn't even look this up. This boyo. To Google Translate. Do you have it, Mark? Black fly. Probably another way of saying gnat. Right, because they're saying gnat here. How do I make this gnat, this black fly, fight? How do I do that? The no-mass monkey says. Do I swat it? And the monkey makes Guanjia point the gun at the lobster and then shoots at him twice, hitting him once in the side of the head and again in the leg. And the way that Ben Stenbeck draws this panel, it's just so affecting. I'm just like, oh, no, the lobster. (laughs) No, no, not a fair fight. 
I asked too much. Yes, the no-mask monkey says. Yes, yes, buzzing idiot, you must do it. You are more important. You are the hero who must live to keep fighting evil. Save yourself, idiot. And so the lobster just starts shooting into the void towards Guanjia. That was such a Dwight delivery, by the way. What did I say? Idiot. Like, I, I <laughs> The illusion fades, right, after the lobster fires. And I love that close-up yeah. panel by Stenbeck. Yeah. I, I also like the the actual when the forest is fading back in. I was just going to say the oh, same okay. thing. Sorry, no I took the words out of your mouth okay. there. <laughs> no, I mean, we're on the same page on there. <laughs> yeah. And so then his crew come up. We see Lester, Bob, and Bill. And they're like, hey, boss, are you okay? What was all that shooting about? And they're like, holy crap. Jeez, boss, what'd you do? And so we see that the lobster didn't shoot Guanjia. He shot the Nomass monkeys. And then perhaps one of my favorite panels ever in the history of any of the lobster stories is this panel that has pretty much nothing to do with it is this owl sitting in this branch against a full moon. Right. Or does it have not having yeah. anything uh, to do with it? Right? right? Yeah. It's a very uh, Mignola-esque kind of panel. You know, yeah. like the, the cutaway for a moment that just adds space. And I think it's the kind of thing that you get just because Steinbeck and Mignola have worked together for so long. They yeah, just absolutely. do that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really beautiful. And I yeah. I should have thrown the word seemingly in there. Yeah, it yeah. seems <laughs> like it's just there for like mood or something, which I at first I was just like, oh, this is really nice. This is beautiful. It took the time to make this panel. But then, of course, like you said, right. it's got a thing behind it. Guanjia <laughs> tells the lobster, I owe you my life. But he says, you owe me nothing. Bob says... We better get moving. Looks like the prison guard heard those shots too, and we see the the prison has those spotlights on. What do you think, Boss Bob asks? Was the Lotus even here? Who knows, Bill? And they look down and inspect the dead monkey. Back inside the cafeteria, those inmates are still picking on Franz Sheck, and they're like, why are you watching the clock? Yeah, you got a train to catch or something? Not anymore, you don't. Come with us, Sheck. The cops come and they take him. Yeah, the warden wants to talk to you about a couple bundles of TNT found just outside the prison walls. So that's the guy that they were trying to break out. As he leaves, these last two inmates are like, get his pie. Then I get the drumstick. They're just eating his food. And that's how it ends. (laughs) I like how we open and close on this scene with this guy, Sheck. Again, it just adds that humor to this really kind of supernatural, weird, mystical story. I I really enjoyed the opening and closing gag thing. It was just pretty hilarious. Yeah, and I just loved Ben Stenbeck's work on all this kind of like horror dreamscape element of the lobster being pulled in all these directions. A lot of it is just silent panels with the art. So, again, this is another one that you want to make sure you go back and check out in your digitals or your floppies or whatever. The art on all these stories has been really amazing. It's my favorite stuff with the Crimson Lotus. Like, having her in an action scene, yeah, that's great. But having her, like, because she's um, getting the lobster, like, into this dreamscape. And then he's revisiting moments that we've seen before in previous stories, like the scene where he gets into the water and, he, and he's pulled out by Bill, which is from um, Get the Lobster. We've got the moment from oh, the cannibals. Yeah. Um, and, and like, so I, like you get this sense that like um, during the story, those things are manifestations of her rifling through his brain. Right. You know, like right. she's just digging in there and just pulling up all these random things as she's going. What are her powers at this point? Like, there's just so many. I don't know. And that's what I, I, I don't ever really want to know. I love <laughs> leaving them so vague. I, I love that she's just this force of nature that you don't really understand. And I can't wait to see her explored again someday. Awesome. Yeah, that's going to be great. Hopefully a World War II story. Yes. 
That would be cool. All right, and now we're going to go over to 131 in the sketchbook section for this trade. We see some of the pencils and the final art for some of Fajula's work, a pinup for Glass Mantis. And so this is really beautiful, mm. this page. So good. Yeah. Like, when you take away the line work and, like, leave it like this, it's it really has that stained glass quality. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very painterly. Mm. Actually, it reminds me a little bit of, just a little bit, Mignola's been doing these watercolors. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah. It, yeah, yeah. It's very yeah, watercolory. It's really easy to get sucked into these. Like, just forget you're on the podcast and just stare at it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for a really long time. You know, and in this pinup, he's also got that weapon, Mark. Ah, oh, the Kapesh, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting that both Fajula and Zonyich drew him brandishing that thing, and he never does in the actual fight. Huh, interesting. Yeah. They did it just to tease you. Yeah. <laughs> we also see some of Stephen Green's sketches in designing Jeannot for Garden of Bones, and some of his pencils for that shootout scene, and I really love that scene. These look great. I mean, just seeing all these sketches is wonderful, you know? It's like it's it's great to see, like, how it started before, you know, it's like you're seeing the bones. Right, yeah. We also see his designs for the priests and priestesses from that story, and I like how he puts here, for the priest, he puts poses as an orthodox, because he wore, like, the garb of, like, a regular priest, but he wasn't, you know what I mean? But that was part of the, all these little character details that go into crafting these people. Some great sketches by Stenbeck, drawing the Nomas monkeys and the Crimson Lotus and the possessed Guanjia. I like the way, um, you know, they kept the detail of Guanjia having the, the scar on his neck where he got shot in oh, um, yeah. Ascended Lotus. That's there, yeah, you're right. And then also the mug shots of the guys that were in the jail. And then we also get this great pinup by Stenbeck. What story is this from? Is this from one of the stories or is this just it's, some random... It's not from an existing story, it's just a, a pinup that he's done. Stenbeck always just likes to draw like weird monsters and stuff like that, right? <laughs> yeah. The goons look really Dick Tracy-esque. Yeah. yeah. they really do. And then we get some of Zonich's designs for the different covers. We see him kind of looking at different designs for... Chain uh, Forged in Life. A Chain Forged in Life cover. And for The Forgotten Man as well. There's a lot of really good ones. I just love looking at these pages of Zonich's layouts. And you can kind of see some of the different designs. These are really cool. Yeah, that Glass Lotus one that they didn't use. Oh my god, so cool. Yeah, that one's great. Are you talking about the one in the in the blue? Yeah. Yeah, and he's always brandishing that, that sword. Yeah, that's interesting. They chose that. Awesome. Yeah, so this is closing up our 2019. I'm so glad that you could join us again, Mark, to help us close out the year. Thanks again for all your continued support yeah. and all the work that you do with the reading order and everything. This has been so awesome. So... I'm glad that we could uh, share some time with you, especially yeah. holiday times, because that's one of the best times for best friendships. friendship time. Yeah. Well, since Matt Struckbein couldn't be here, I'm expecting some listener feedback from him. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get some feedback from Matt. Some technology makes Te it possible to hang out with our friends from all over the world. I still love technology, <laughs> but not as much as you, you see. But I still love technology. <laughs> So next week, I'll throw together a bloopers episode. Thank you guys for being patient. Um, we're going to take a couple weeks off, um, some well-needed rest, but you'll still have an episode every week, and then we'll follow up with you guys 
after the new year. Again, thank you so much. This podcast is my dream. I just love it. And I'm so glad to hear (laughs) from everybody every week and see those download numbers. We'll join you for another great year of Hellboy Book Club goodness and talking to our friends. And now, for the last time in 2019, Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Tell us your thought on this collection of the Lobster Johnson stories we just read. You can send us a hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the reading order and the Discord link on our Facebook About section. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Gotterhorn for the uh, great music. Always love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark, for being Mark on again. Tweedle. Yeah. And all the work you've done to help John. And thank you, John. Thank you, Danielle. Uh, and thank you, Aubrey, for yeah. always doing oh, these things without stuffing it up. Uh, <laughs> I don't they, know how you do it. Oh, man. <laughs> thank you, listeners, for joining us on this journey. Yeah. Thank you, book club members, that we don't know your name. That's okay, too. Yeah. Just lurking. Next week, we're taking a break, like John said. So, you're going to be a blooper episode. So, you just ch- sit there. So, that's going to be on it. So, you just <laughs> sit back and chill and enjoy. Take us out, Aubrey. You can find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Mark Tweedell. I'm Mark Tweedell. I am. I'm Danielle Renee. <laughs> and I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, Justice. You can't escape it. <laughs> <laughs> Very 80s. Very 80s. <laughs>